Well, it was recording, and then I just well, I, it what's so strange is I checked Amalto, and then it like literally clicked off. It stopped recording, and then um, I just hit recording again. So it's we're fourteen seconds in. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, that's the started. Is that right? So should we? And I'm going to take you on, yep. Daniel. everybody welcome to the woo la podcast we have a special episode today uh we have a guesting with us daniel smith rousey who of course was on the very first episode hello as you may remember and we also have very special guest steve schweighoffer from uh up in canada howdy and of course robin is with us as always hello everybody and uh so today we are going to talk world war ii movies and the Oscars specifically, I think. Woohoo! Yeah. Yay! Mainly how, the, mainly how the British won the war. Not the <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and so I'm going to let Daniel start with giving us his rundown of all the films that he considers World War II, and then I think Steve was going to challenge that. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Yeah. Well, not every World War II movie ever made, but but every one that has been nominated for uh, the Best Picture Oscar, right? Uh, with a special sort of pause to note which ones won, so we we got it clear which ones. So eight of them have won the Best Picture Oscar. Eight of them were victorious in their quest to win the Best Picture Oscar. Uh, about twenty five others were nominated and lost. Um, so let's, so shall I go? Shall I start that list now? Sure. Yeah. And we there's might. A couple oh, of, sorry, yeah. just a quick, there's no, a couple of few films that weren't nominated for Best Picture. Maybe got a director nod that we could yes. sort of talk about later that are probably better than a lot of the winners. But anyway, that's just. Very, yes. That is an excellent point, And I'm glad we're bringing that up. Um, yeah. So then once we have this list, we'll talk about what makes a winner, what differentiates the winners from the losers, and like Robin just said, the ones that didn't even get nominated at all. And and all this will sort of be leading up to trying to predict if Dunkirk, the new Christopher Nolan-directed film, has a chance at becoming the ninth World War II film to win Best Picture. If we think that's probable or not probable for whatever reasons, once we've realized what these other eight films had in common and how they distinguish themselves from the other 25 films, ish 25 films that didn't make it. So that that's sort of the end goal is to see Dunkirk's odds and predict them based on what we know from these other films. Uh, does that sound about right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, so um, we're beginning in a, in a land I call 1942 because uh, in 41, uh, 
the United States wasn't really in the war. Well, it wasn't, not until December of 41. So there wasn't really time for Hollywood to get anything out. Most of these movies were made uh, at least with Hollywood money. Uh, it, some, of course, are British films, but often uh, Hollywood was somehow involved. Um, as we see, that's often true with the Oscar race. That was true then. It's true now. Um, and... Um, Anyway, so yeah, we start in the year 42. You could make a slight case that maybe we should start in 1941 with uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Foreign Correspondent. But that movie more anticipates the war. It doesn't quite really go there, although eh, it was a Best Picture nominee, so maybe we should include that. Uh, that's, an, again, one of our definitional uh, problems. But okay, let's, let's leave that off for now. Uh, that'll be part of uh, Robin and Steve's discussion of movies that should have been uh, on this list but weren't. That's fine, or it could be. Okay, so in 1942, starting with a bang, there were four, uh, four of the ten... <laughs> Uh, movies that were nominated for Best Picture that year were um, were about World War II, and one of them won. Uh, the three that uh, were about it but didn't win were 49th Parallel, The Pied Piper, Wake Island, and, Mrs. And, and finally the fourth one, which did win, is Mrs. Miniver, which is still hallowed, I think, in many corners of Britain. Uh, am I right about that, Robin, that Mrs. Miniver is still considered an all-time classic or not? Um... I don't know if it is any more than it is across the water. Uh, okay. It's not. It's it's not one of the most popular best picture winners, I would say. Right. I suppose it was showing the uh, you know the home front. You know the the boldness and courage of a of a woman. Uh, you know yeah. a British woman on. You know, but there was something about that at the time that we needed to hear that was uh, inspiring. I suppose. Um, okay. Well, the, the very following year. Uh, like in 42, there were um, <laughs> four best picture, four of the ten best picture nominees were uh, about World War II, and one of them won. The three that didn't win were The Human Comedy, In Which We Serve. Those are two separate ones. One of them is The Human Comedy. The second one is In Which We Serve. And then the third one is The More the Merrier. The one that did win, and I think most of you listening will have heard of this, is Casablanca. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> Casablanca more. So, yeah, all you have to do to win Best Picture is just be Casablanca. I mean, that doesn't seem that hard. Uh, the following year was the year that uh, the Best Pictures went to five nominees, which they stayed at, as most people listening to this will know, until 2009. Um, and there was one nominee that year, strangely, only one World War II nominee the following year, Since You Went Away was called. And then none the next year, 45. Kind of strange. With only five nominees to go, it seems like Hollywood had other priorities. At least Ampass did, uh, the, the Oscars. Okay, maybe we should rush this along. The following year, 1946, I count this as a World War II film, uh, even though that could be argued. Uh, the movie, the winner and the only World War II film nominated that year was The Best Years of Our Lives. Um, those of you who have seen it understand that uh, it is about... World War II, the soldiers are coming home, and it's about the time they were away. I Actually, It's a Wonderful Life by Frank Capra. Both of these movies fe feature prominently in Mark Harris's 
uh, book Five Came Back, which was just made into a Netflix movie, which some of you have seen. And actually, some of the other movies I just mentioned are also mentioned uh, in that book. But anyway, you might consider It's a Wonderful Life, a World War II film. I didn't, because I think so much of it takes place before the war. Uh, there's really just, like, sort of the last part of it is this. This is the kind of decision I had to make. You know, like, I didn't count Atonement, for example, because so much of it takes place before the war. I, I decided it had to be at least, you know, more than half sort of set in or during the war, with the exception, apparently, of the best years of our lives, because it's di- very directly about the aftermath within months of them coming home, um, not years, um, despite the title. Um, okay, let me just run th- then. So that definitional stuff, I know, will trip us up some more later. But okay, let me get through the other uh, nominees. That So the next four... Uh, on my list were all ones that uh, got nominated but did not win. Crossfire in 1947, the noir World War II film. Battleground, 1949, kind of a standard-ish one that we sort of think of uh, now. Uh, 12 O'Clock High, also from that same year, 1949. Decision Before Dawn, that year of 1951. These were movies that got nominated but did not win. In some ways, their content is kind of comparable to Dunkirk, but but obviously not their style. Let's get to that later. Now we come to the fourth film to win, the fourth uh, nominee to w- actually win Best Picture, fourth World War II-based film to win based Best Picture, and the first one really to be made and uh, fit, to be made filmed, released significantly after the war, you know, eight years later, is From Here to Eternity the Burt Lancaster, Deborah Kerr movie that many of you know. Um, the following year, a movie called The Kane Mutiny with Humphrey Bogart uh, was nominated for Best Picture. It lost. The following year, Mr. Roberts, star-making film for Jack Lemmon, 1955, was nominated and lost. It's like kind of a frothy, fun film. Um, then Nothing in 56, and then in 1957, the only World War II movie that was nominated that year won. It's called The Bridge on the River Kwai, the David Lean classic, Alec Guinness stars. Um, Nothing in 58, then 59, The Diary of Anne Frank. It was nominated. It lost. Nothing in 60, then in 61, The Guns of Navarone. Nominated. Lost. 1962, The Longest Day, the John Wayne film, the film about D-Day, the one that was made before Steven Spielberg made one. Uh, was was nominated. It lost to Lawrence of Arabia, another war film. Um, then there's a dry spell for the next eight years. Nothing. No World War II movies until 1970. No, no Best Picture nominated World War II films until 1970. And that the movie that got nominated that year did win the Best Picture Oscar. It was called Patton. Uh, starring George C. Scott, who also won the, the Oscar for uh, Lead Actor. Actually, a lot of these movies, the lead actor is doing well, but let's talk about that in a little bit. Uh, and then 14 years actually went by. So 71 to 83, no World War II-based Best Picture nominees. Sam Fuller couldn't buy a nomination. It might be something that... Uh, <laughs> that Robin's going to mention. 1984, the... the the next uh, Best Picture nominee, it's called, uh, from World War II, it's called A Soldier's Story. Nothing in 85, nothing in 86, and then John Borman's film, very British film, called Hope and Glory, 1987, earns a Best Picture nomination. Uh, 88 through 92 go by without any World War II-based films getting uh, a Best Picture nod. 
1993, a guy named Steven Spielberg uh, releases Jurassic. No, I'm kidding. Schindler's. <laughs> Schindler's. Uh, well, you could consider with, Jurassic Park a World War II movie, right? You know, <laughs> we could argue yeah. it. It's in, got carnage. <laughs> it's got carnage. Yeah, our president mentioned carnage in his inauguration speech. I'm glad you mentioned carnage. <laughs> Um, okay, so 1993, somehow, I don't know, I don't know how Schindler's List got in. I mean, I guess it just got lucky somehow, but somehow they, they gave it the Best Picture Oscar. Uh, two years go by, nothing. Uh, then in 1996, another World War II movie is nominated, and it wins. And it's actually the last uh, World War II-based movie to win the Best Picture Oscar, and that movie is called The English Patient. Um after that, there are seven more names that you guys are patiently waiting on. Uh, a lot of you are probably waiting for the big year of 1998 when uh, three World War II movies were all nominated in the same year. Wow. And that represents 60% of all, of all nominees. So that's, that in a way, it's more than when four out of ten were nominated in 42 and 43. Um, so I know some of you know what these three are, but I'll just name <laughs> La Vida Bella, or Life is Beautiful, is one of them. The Thin Red Line is another one. And a third one, which I bet will come up later in this conversation for some reason or another, is Saving Private Ryan. And all three of those lost to, anybody want to say what movie they lost to? Shakespeare. The correct one. The correct one. Pretty much. (laughs) The Big Lebowski. Yeah, they lost the Big Lebowski. That's what should have happened. Shakespeare in Love. (laughs) Shakespeare in Love, right. So Shakespeare in Love is clearly, if you're going to make a Dunkirk, don't don't have to square off against a Shakespeare in Love, because you are dead. Uh, and, and, okay, so now there's only four movies left, uh, and there, there are four more World War II movies in the almost 20 years since since that big 0 for 3-er from 98. Uh, and those four movies are The Pianist in 2003. It lost. All of these lost. Letters from Iwo Jima, 2006, it lost. <laughs> the Imitation Game from 2014, it lost. And this year, or last year, whatever we're calling it, Hacksaw Ridge by uh, that uh, director of unimpeachable character, Mr. Mel Gibson. Okay, so we've what got our Glorious Bastards list of movies now. Oh, yeah, yeah. What about Inglorious Bastards? Oh, did I say Inglorious? Oh, my God. You're right. Okay, then I need to expand my list. I, that makes us wonder how many of these I may have left off. Uh-oh, no, my fault. Yes. You're right. No, no, you're absolutely right. Let's go. I'm, so I'm putting that back in 2009. Uh, excuse me. I really thought I'd checked everything. Maybe somehow I missed. I don't know what I was thinking. Okay, so that's a really good point, Inglorious Bastards. Hopefully I haven't missed too many more. I'm pretty sure I haven't missed any other winners. Yeah. So Inglorious Bastards. Yes, Although, I you know what? I like With Inglorious Bastards, it could be argued that that is a <laughs> fantasy movie. True. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, there you go. So those are our movies. We've got eight winners, and we've got at least I have something like 25-ish non-winners, you know, because we're all winners here, right? Maybe they just, I don't know. But, uh, okay, so based on what you heard... Uh, maybe we can go to Robin or to Steve first and ask them uh, what's jumping out at you as far as what the winners, the you know the Oscar, the Best Picture Oscar winners have 
in common that the others don't. Maybe it's just timing. Maybe it was just luck. Or is there anything more jumping out at you? That's really the big question of the podcast. Anybody want to jump on it right now? Sentimentality. Sentimentality. Nice. With the exception of uh, Patton, which was uh, came out during the Peace and Love days. So they, the people that made Patton tried to play both sides of the angle, anti-war and pro-war. Right. So that's how they won. Yep. Coppola, Cop- because of Coppola's screenplay, that was how he got The Godfather. Was that's right. Because of how well that movie did play those both sides that you mentioned, I think. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, anybody else want to, anybody want to tell uh, Steve that he's wrong, that sentimentality? <laughs> no, that's a good one. I mean, if you look at the, how many there won as well, the, it's like when they win, they really win. But there's some big films out you can't argue with, like um, From Here to Eternity, Bridge in the River Kwai, Schindler's List, those those three, Casablanca, obviously, but those three you can't really argue with. Uh, English Patients probably, um, it's the most recent one, it's probably the one that got people's backs up a little bit, more than any other. Does anybody agree with that? Does, how was it received yeah. over there? I really love The English Patient. I love the book and I loved, uh, I loved what they did with the book. Yeah. Well, I just feel like in in certain cases, um, you can also look at the competition that that year. So, like, for instance, in 96, uh, Fargo was never going to win because it was too dark. Um, and, you know, Jerry Maguire was a sports movie. And um, with, like, 93, Schindler's List, I mean, you look at the nominations and it's like, I don't think any of those were were set to win other than Schindler's List that year as well. Um, I disagree with that. What do you think would have won? Well, I think Barry the Fugitive, I think. Um, The other three could easily have won. Yeah, Um, because what it was like, In the Name of the Father, right? Yeah. And you've got... uh, Oh, what was the other one? Was it Remains of the Day? Yeah. You've named yeah. it four out of five. The Piano was the one. Oh, that yeah. Well, that won the other screenplay award besides the one mm-hmm. that list won. So but, of that, course, you know, with that, that brings up the whole thing about women directors winning Best Picture, not until uh, Catherine Bigelow with the Herlocker. Yeah, so but do, do we think that because Campion's a woman, that the Piano would not have won? Because I think that was definitely the second best, according to Oscar wins and... You know, at the time, if Schindler's List disappeared, would the piano have won? It's that's a great hmm. question. If, yeah, you're saying if Schindler's List release date had been pushed to the next year, for example, or something. Yeah, yeah. I, that is a great question. You're saying the Fugitive probably would have beaten the piano, Robin? No, I don't think. So. I, I think the Fugitive was a surprise nominee in my eyes. It was very yeah. on Oscar. It wasn't really an Oscar film. Yeah, it just seems like that was more of a populist kind of movie. I think um, Age of Innocence. Age of Innocence didn't get in. It know. didn't quite get that. Well, that was a very competitive year in Marty's defense. I mean, a very competitive year. Yeah, you it know, was. I think it would have been another year. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I certainly think the English patient. I just want to respond. Do people like that or not? Uh, it, my wife agrees with Steve a hundred percent. She loves that film. She loves the uh, book. Um, the Andante book. And uh, so 
she's probably not the person who got their backs up as uh, as Robin put it but I do think there is some there was certainly a backlash as represented by the Seinfeld episode where Elaine is you know saying what is the big deal with this English patient oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that she's screaming about sex in the in the in a bathtub <laughs> and, and how it's not sexy <laughs> It's funny. Actually, there, there, there were. There's a Seinfeld episode about both of the World War II movies that won Best Picture during the time Seinfeld was on. There's also a Schindler's List episode about sex in a movie theater, but I'm not going to get into that, <laughs> uh, or at least making out in it. But yeah, I don't know yeah. the English patient. Yeah, um, I like it, but I can see why. See, I think this is one reason I like this topic is I think World War II, in general, gives a sort of a hefty weight to something that maybe it doesn't always earn, you know? I mean, I, I, well, I think that sometimes happens. So it feels like I, I think that's a, that's a point for Dunkirk against a movie like, I don't know, the beguiled or something where it's like, Oh, but this is about world war two. So it must have more gravitas. It must be important. I think that helped the English patient against um, Fargo and other comers. I mean, would anybody want to agree or disagree? Yeah, I think so. I think it, it, I think it's very lean esque for start, and it was also there's a lot of homages to Out of Africa in there as well. And, and they were like they were like winners. They're the films that won quite easily. though, David Lean and right. And it, it was a it was a beautiful film. Um, so I think it just got the epic thing got got swept up with that. But Steve, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, uh, for a war film, any war film to win, it has to be it has to be epic. Yeah. And with the exception of the Hurt Locker. And that has nothing <laughs> to do with World War II, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. A... I mean, Go ahead. oh, well, I was just thinking about, like, you know, if, if we're bringing cinematography into this, because, you know, you fall in love with your eyes first, and then you fall second in love with, like, your emotions and, you know, your connectivity to the film, then, like, cinematography always has to be a main Part of it, and when you have gorgeous landscapes, and you have you know the production design to back it up, and especially like with costume and all that stuff, then I think you know other films have a harder time competing. And you know, World War Two, if you do it right, can be a very beautiful thing to look at. Um, <laughs> even, even really awesome. Yeah, I mean, even in its bleakness, sometimes. Like, I mean, Schindler's List was shot into almost entirely in black and white. And, you know, you had the one moment of, like, the little girl's red balloon, and then everybody remembers the red balloon. Except it's a red coat. <laughs> Wait, is it? Oh, you, okay. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's a coat. I, for some reason, I was thinking balloon, but yeah. The red balloon is a good film, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And that's an Oscar nominee too. Yeah. But and I think it actually lost to one of the to like uh, well whatever anyway. But moving mm-hmm. on. Another thing that 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 plays into whether it wins or not is its point of view. Absolutely good. Point. You guys know yeah. there was a film that got six mm-hmm. Oscar nominations, including editing, director, cinematography, and screenplay. Now that should be a sure thing to get into uh, best picture. Das yes. Boot. That's both. Yeah, that's both. Mm. I was going to mention, and it's a great, yeah. great. Film. Right now, that's that's, that's from the other side, right? That that didn't get a best picture nominee, am I right? That's right. I believe or, so. Yeah, like, that nominee. year the winner was uh, Chariots of Fire. Select. 
No, I think wait, eighty. That's eighty four. Dust Boot was eighty. Was well, am I wrong or right, Steve? That those nominations you mentioned. Oh happened? wait a minute. Oh, that's right. Because eighty. It, well, it came out in the United States in eighty two. I think so. That would have counted. Um, it, the competition would have been up against like E. T. and Gandhi. I think then. <laughs> yeah, it was up against Gandhi. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, it wasn't well, against Gandhi I, I, because he didn't have Gandhi. a chance. But he was not uh, a World War II film. I felt because come on, not most of it, you know. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Gandhi. <laughs> well, I hope you guys are okay with me leaving Gandhi off of the list, you know, because I don't consider it a World War II film. Well, I think you should put the sound yeah. of music back on the list because war is hell, and my idea of hell is uh, nuns and small children <laughs> being chased by Nazis through the Alps while singing at the top of their lungs. I did think about sound of music. Again, it was like an atonement decision. It was like not enough of it. Good. But yeah. Well, you know, this seems like a perfect time then to discuss what is our own personal like takes on what exactly qualifies as a World War II movie. Because to me, um, the first thing I think of when I think of like a World War II movie is, of course, battle scenes and soldiers. Um, you know, and in some cases, like Casablanca, for instance, took place during the war, but we never saw a. I don't think we even really saw a gun, did we? No, I don't think so. Yeah. No, you did. Because they, you know, they pull out pistols to threaten people occasionally, you know, like when they're threatening uh, Rick at the airport, you know. Okay. That's, they yeah. battled yeah. songs. <laughs> right. Um, so I guess for me, like, when I think World War II specifically, I think of like, you know, again, like you got battle scenes or you have soldiers or you have like based on a true story. So like this event took place um, and, you know, a lot of those kinds of um those kind of storylines, you know, um, and then anything that involves like the enemy versus the good guys, uh, and whatever the definition of good guys is, you know, I suppose it, it depends on which country is producing the film as well. Um, or, you know, like for instance, with Hacksaw Ridge, that was, you know, sort of a, a dual story of before the war and then during the war and then that specific battle. Uh, in Okinawa and everything. Um, although, let's face it, um, Hacksaw Ridge, because I think it came out the wrong year. Had Hacksaw Ridge come out, like, 20 years ago, it probably would have done a lot better, but because Mel Gibson screwed up and had to open his mouth, there was no way the Ampas were going to give him an award, no matter how good it was. <laughs> I, I think it over. I think personally that film overachieved. I think there's better films that could have got into the ten, the nine, eight, whatever it is. Yes, I, I, I think in spite of Mel Gibson, and he got a better director, not don't forget. So, so a lot of people love him. So, it, in spite of that, so had he not been a, a twat, perhaps <laughs> that would have got more. Perhaps that would have got more. But I think it's not one of my favorite films. I'm not going to slate mm-hmm. it, but I think yeah. it overachieved a little bit. Well, so let me ask you, well, I, and I want to get back to Steve's thing about, uh, you know, the perspective, like the sort of the perspective of the winners or the or the Western perspective or the British or American perspective. But let's get back to that in a sec. But to your question, Al, uh, so do you feel then, since you're saying that you think of a World War II film having soldiers, that maybe some of these movies I mentioned, which are kind of home front based, mm-hmm. uh, kind of wouldn't qualify because they're kind of about 
people just kind of on the home front, um, like the best years of our lives, or I don't know what, um, you know, that are maybe too much based on like what's going on at home, the cane mutiny maybe, or, or, you know, like outside the field of battle. Do you feel like those don't fall diary events? Well, I I mean, okay. So in some instances, I, I suppose there are exceptions like Schindler's list. I consider world war two, even though that was mostly about the Holocaust. Um, so you separate those two. I mean, I don't know. But are we talking? Are we talking battle films or war films? Because war permeates society completely. Oh, you know what? That's that's a good point, Steve. Um, Right. uh, Well, you know what? Then I guess uh, war films is truly the the umbrella definition, or you know, like what we're really talking about. Not necessarily battle. So, um, you know, I I guess I never really thought about it before because. Um, you know, there are other films as well, like for Vietnam films, like Born on the Fourth of July and, um, like the Deer Hunter, um, you know, that are like the antithesis of like Platoon or Full Metal Jacket. So, um, I don't know. I guess that's, that's, that's a good question, Daniel, because definition can kind of, um, change through, as we're talking about perspective. (laughs) Right. Hey, ooh, nice segue to perspective. I like that. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it is true. I was just looking at this list. I mean, yeah, you, you definitely need that Anglo-American, well, at least it seems like, perspective to win. Although, arguably, Schindler's List is a German perspective. Uh, I don't know. You know, like, Life is Beautiful Lost from the Italian perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? Does uh yeah, if you look at foreign language film, then those perspectives are well represented. Like Life is Beautiful, Closely Watched Trains, uh, Shop on Main Street, The Tin Drum, they're all from the perspective of the countries that were involved. Yeah. Right. And in some way, you have to respect that on some level. But yeah, it seems like there's room in our lives for, like, say, a Japanese perspective, World War II film, at least now. I mean, I think we'd find that interesting, you know? I mean, interesting. <laughs> I don't know, you know, but yeah, it doesn't seem like we have that yet. And some films like like the Tin Drum, which is like yeah, depicts depicts an era rather than a war, or um, Un- Underworld from '95, the oh, yeah. Costa Rica film was the World War Two was part of that, and it's a war film because it does like three different wars. But is it a World War Two film? Well, yeah, it, it is for forty five minutes, so it's how you sort of see it. It's it's sort of his choice of war film, you know. Stuff like like that was another one that I thought about too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that again. It's like the reader. It's mostly about. It's all about the aftermath. Or Judgment at Nuremberg, you know, is probably comparable to Sophie's Choice in some ways. Um, clearly, it's all about the war, but it seems to take place so many years later that it feels like it's about. I don't. It just. Uh, I guess I feel like if we were looking on a shelf, it wouldn't. If, of World War II films, those wouldn't be there. But maybe I'm wrong. But you yeah. can still feel the war in some of these films, like in Rome, Open City, and uh, Bicycle oh. Thieves. I oh, mean, yeah. it's, the effect is there, so it's there is a direct connection. Oh, I would have put Rome, Open City on this for sure if if that was a Best Picture nominee. Oh, a hundred percent, I can feel a I can feel a hundred list coming on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep Al busy, right? I mean, that's right. It. <laughs> <sighs> 
Although I have to admit, uh, when it comes to, like, the depth of World War II movies, like, you just put me to shame at the beginning of this, Daniel, because, like, so many of these I honestly have never even heard of. Um, and now, now I'm just expecting Robin to go, what? Where have you been? What are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm expecting you to be talking about From Here to Eternity and Schindler's right. List. Oh, well, I have, I have I seen, seen them. Right, right. I did see From Here to Eternity, and that was probably at least 10, 15 years ago now. That's um, a great film. Yeah, like, well, I remember, what was it, Ed Bagley's in that or something? What? Oh, or no, not just his father. <laughs> that could be true. I didn't know that. Is that right, guys? I think it was his father. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, wait, now that you're mentioning actors, I sort of want to bring something up, and I, I don't want to lose the other ideas about sentimentality and perspective, but I think another big factor for these movies that have won, and I think this is where Dunkirk, this could be a little bit of a warning sign for Dunkirk, is um, big meaty roles for actors, you know, and, and this crosses over with sentimentality too. Now you might tell me, Oh, well, um, you know, Mark Rylance or Ken Branagh, they had big roles. Yeah. But you know, it's funny. The movie does, it sort of cuts away from them in Dunkirk. I know we're not really talking about Dunkirk yet, but, um, I mean, comparatively, the way that the actors are kind of given free reign in, in these other movies, I mean, it's no surprise that so many of these winners were also one, uh, you know, actor for, uh, sorry, best actor or best supporting actor uh, Oscars. I mean, there were, they were and, and even when they didn't win, it seems like those performances like Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman's in Casablanca or uh, Burt Lancaster's in From Here to Eternity, their performances certainly minted their Hollywood careers for the rest of their careers. I mean, they, they, they could base their entire career on that performance, you know, from then on. They would be always cited as the person from that. I don't, will Mark Rylance be cited as the actor from uh, Dunkirk five years from now? Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, like, Alec Guinness winning for River Kwai, no surprise, yeah. Um, George C. Scott winning for Patton. And I know Liam Neeson uh, and Ray Fiennes didn't actually win. Somehow neither of those people have an Oscar for some reason that nobody can possibly understand. But clearly their careers were made by that movie. Um, you know, even the English patient, Juliette Binoche, you know, upset uh, Lauren Bacall to win for that. I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I feel like big, meaty, fat actor roles are something we see in all the acting winners, or I'm sorry, in all the Best Picture winners, and I feel like that's kind of missing from Dunkirk. Now, does anybody want to disagree with me and tell me Dunkirk has those, or maybe that that's not so necessary for a Best Picture winner anyway? Anybody want to come at me? It's it's not necessary, because if you look at The Pianist, which lost to Chicago, unfortunately, Adrian Brody pulled out for that brilliant performance. That's true. Well, okay, but that gets to necessary but not sufficient, or sufficient but not necessary. I mean, okay, he won, and other people have won, uh, but I'm saying that if you have a World War II movie that's more of sort of an ensemble film, like, let's say, The Thin Red Line is an example of such a film, um, it's not going to win Best Picture. I mean, I think arguably Dunkirk is a bit of, is kind of an ensemble film. It's not, it's more about the ensemble than it is about, you know, a, it is about one guy being the guy, the way that Patton and River Kwai and Schindler's List were, I think. I mean, maybe. maybe do, you think, do you think that's because people like hitching their boats to one character? Yeah. 
I guess so. Yeah. That literally, uh, you know, I like, I like the metaphor you're bringing up with the boat hitching, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, maybe, I mean like a letters from Iwo Jima, maybe it was just racism that they weren't going to nominate any of those actors, but it was a general kind of, it felt like an ensemble film in their defense. Maybe it would have helped in glorious bastards. If Brad Pitt had had a more central role or a, or a more, or a better role, or he acted it better. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, or maybe was- Maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know. There was a hugely popular film in the 60s about World War II, and it only managed to snag one nomination. And that was The Great Escape. And that's because it did not have a particular lead actor. It made a star of Steve McQueen, but he wasn't the lead. Right. Absolutely. You could say the same of The Dirty Dozen, I think. Yep. Yep. That didn't get a Best Picture nomination either. So I don't know. You know, I think for some reason the Oscars have shown themselves to be like, Oh, we really love this actor. I mean, what, Robin, what do you think? Am I talking crazy over here or what? Well, no, I'm here. So I just I disappeared there, actually. I don't know if you even noticed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, my wife just bought me some uh, some food, so I had to interrupt the war for that. <laughs> how, how Robin won the war. <laughs> what I was going to say is um, the actor thing's a good argument, but I'm not sure it's a good argument anymore because the past few Best Picture winners have been quite ensemble Yes. So that, that right. might help. And plus, well, I'm not going to do Dunkirk yet. I'm not going to say anything else about Dunkirk because I've got 20 reasons why it's going to win. So, <laughs> but I think, I don't think actors, I know they're the big, the big branch of the Academy, but, you know, perhaps it's not as important as it was 20 years ago. Well, you know, specifically with Dunkirk, uh, one of the things I think about is like the choice of casting that uh, that Nolan had his team do because, like, Fion Whitehead or Finn Whitehead or whatever. I don't think that might have been his debut, and along with like a Harry Styles that is m- formerly known as a pop star. Now you get Mark Rylance, who of course just won the Best Supporting Actor for Bridge of Spies, and you know you got the good. Um, all the good feelings there that carry over. Um, and then, of course, there's Tom Hardy, but is it, it's not really Tom Hardy because you, you wouldn't even know the difference until the le- Well, spoiler alert, but, um, you know, you get my point. And so, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll just say uh, that he pulls a Bane. Right. Okay. <laughs> and leave it at that. I mean, oh, what are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's funny because, you know, the, the movie doesn't really have stars in it other than, say, like a Tom Hardy and a Mark Rylance. And, and it's interesting that it works so perfectly that way because you don't want to get caught up thinking about, oh, this is this actor you want to think about this is this character and this is what's really happening to them, which, of course, the whole movie is trying to immerse you in. And so, you know, if and, and the thing about, like, the stakes are that if if you had somebody well-known and well-liked, um, then they'd be like, no, don't kill him off. We like him too much, you know, as opposed to if they're unknown, then they're expendable. And then, therefore, they could truly die at any time. Right. They were expendable. Great John Ford film about World War II did not get a Best Picture. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's just interesting, the ones that win and the ones that don't, I think. I, I guess I just find that somewhat fascinating. I remember when the imitation game, like, three years ago or two years ago, seemed to have a lot of heat coming into yeah. the award season. It, would have, it was People were like, okay, it hits all the buttons. It's about World War II. It's about persecution. It's about him being gay, but ha- he has to hide it. It's about, you know, plus he's a, he invented, you know, so much science that we take for granted that the personal computer, geez, how could it lose? And yet somehow it did. And in, in fact, by the time, you know, by the time we got around to the, the sort of the, the second stretch of best picture, it was really like boyhood versus Birdman imitation. Yep. Everybody had forgotten about it seemingly, but I don't know what happened. So I kind of wonder if that could happen to Dunkirk. If Dunkirk yes. Rule number one. Do not be the front runner. Right. They will wear you down. Right, right. Yeah. No, there might, because Dunkirk seemed, well, wait, did, Robin, did you just say Dunkirk, you have 20 reasons why it's it's going to win or why it's not going to win? Did it, no, I, 20 reasons why, I should say, can, why it can win. Oh, why it can. Okay. All right. Fair it's enough. Probably the same reasons that can be applied to saving Private Ryan. <laughs> right. Yeah. That comparison's coming up a lot in the in the. Oh, meeting. is it? Okay. Well, people are saying, you know, that it came out, Private Ryan came out in July, and this came out in July, and that, you know, it had long legs, and that it was, that supposedly Nolan learned a lot from Spielberg and his staging and everything, and, you know, I, and maybe it is comparable in some ways, although I would argue Dunker doesn't have the, the sentimentality that uh, Ryan had, the, uh, you know, the, well, eight people are worth one person, this is not, it's not quite that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I got a question for you guys um, that you just kind of made me think of, Daniel. So, like, when it comes to being a front runner early in the year and everything, I know we talk about the Oscars pretty much year round, or like not not us collective four, but you know, people in general who are way into that kind of stuff. You know, they like making the early predictions and everything. But that's kind of where I look at it. Like, to a certain point, they're just predictions for a while until a certain time of the year where they become actual, like almost tangible things. And a front runner is literally born out of that. So my question for you guys, cause I'm, I'm thinking about this right now is at what point in the year does it, does a film suddenly become an actual front runner where it's now on the record versus it's sort of rumored to be a frontrunner. So, like, for instance, Dunkirk comes out at the end of July, and Oscar season doesn't really kick in till we hit Venice and Telluride, and then, of course, Toronto in September. And then at that point, everything is heavily scrutinized, and that's the point at which those titles start racking on and everything. And I'm wondering, do you think Dunkirk will even last into the the very first stages of like the Tellurides and the Toronto's as the yes, first I think it will. It and will, it's yeah. simply because it's Christopher Nolan and he's been screwed over so many times. I think he's got enough people behind him that he will they'll definitely get a nomination. Whether he wins or not, I don't know. Okay. That's a good point, Steve. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, when the critics awards kick in as well like LA and New York when all when if they if yeah. they like it. That's if they like thing. Dunkirk, it's a sure thing. Mm. Yeah, look at Matt, look at Mad Max, things like that. Therefore, oh, they won't remember that. Well, they bloody did, didn't they? It won more Oscars than anything else. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but if Sasha were here, she would say that there that every Best Picture winner has 
been has debuted to the public, you know, at either Telluride or Toronto since I don't know what year is it? Ten years ago, fifteen years ago. You know, like, I think it was. I think it goes back to Argo, because I know the year before we had the artist, that. and that debuted at Con. What movie? What the artist. Movie? The artist. Because oh, I think the streak starts with Argo. Uh, okay. Brokeback Mountain started at uh, Toronto, I think. Okay. Well, that just proves her right. But if, yeah. if the artist, if it only goes back to the artist, huh? Okay. I, I for some reason I thought it was much further than that. Maybe she, her point is American audiences haven't seen it until uh, September. In terms of you know, I mean, maybe, but maybe she's wrong about that. I, I well. I, no, because you just said because isn't what we're talking about that the streak of best picture winners debuted at at Telluride, right? Or Toronto, yes. Oh, at like, Telluride or Toronto. Okay. American audiences until September. From from what I'm what I gathered, I think it's actually even Telluride because okay. both La La Land and Moonlight this past year debuted at Telluride, and I want to say that's where Birdman got its start, and that's where. Um, Twelve Years a Slave got its start. Okay, well, I, you know, probably I shouldn't be saying anything because I don't actually have this. <laughs> oh but no! Didn't it's, the it's Hurt Locker fine. didn't the Hurt Locker premiere at uh, Sundance the previous year? Did it? Oh wow! I've been hanging around a long time. Yeah, you're right. It, it was definitely from the previous year, oh. and it def. But it, I know, I saw Hurt Locker that summer, like by this time in the year that year. So. Okay, so it doesn't. It certainly doesn't go back any further than that. Um, so, okay, very good. Cool. Well, who knows? I mean, so what other? Maybe I want to ask Robin. What are what are some of the other reasons that uh, Dunkirk has such a solid chance? And maybe we could compare those to some of those River Kwai, Patton, Schindler's lists of years past. Yeah, I think. Excuse me. Steve mentioned there that he's Nolan's odd. That always helps when, yes. when Schindler's List. If Schindler's List hadn't been the masterpiece, it it probably still had a good chance of winning because they felt guilty about Spielberg. But they screwed him over. They'd given him a Thalberg Award, I think, like eight years prior. But they couldn't nominate him for Best Director. They couldn't give him a Best Director. Schindler's List comes along, and it's like the best film he's done. That's what people were saying. Masterpiece. And he wins. It ticks all the boxes. And I think Nolan's done a similar thing here. Like he's been warming us up for a long time, and, and now he's made this film. It's like everybody's like, "Oh, this is what he's been, you know, working towards." Right. Um, he he hasn't got the director nominations. It, it, there is a bit, of, probably a bit of guilt there. Inception guilt, I would say, more yeah. than the dark, more than the Dark Knight. I think people go on about the Dark Knight a little bit too, too much emphasis on the Dark Knight. But I think Inception. Um, possibly in Memento, where he did very well with guilds and yep. critics. So I think it's, it's quite a long time. So I think he's, he is odd, but it's like sort of branches of that, you know, that he's made the, he's made the film. Because the Academy are going to like this film. They're not going to sit and go, oh, no, the actor's it's not the lead actor and there's not, a, there's not sentiment. That does help, but they're going to get swept up by it like I did and like pretty much everyone else did. But did you uh, see the review in the Guardian, Ryan, or, or uh, Robin? Robin. Uh, the uh, there was a review, yeah. and it was a pen. David thingy. Yeah, I saw it. I, I read it today. Yeah, and it just. I, I don't know. I think. I don't know if it's a. Or is it just somebody's being contrary. 
Yeah, yeah I don't know, it's a, it's a Guardian, so it's obviously it's legit, but um, it just seems like he's playing devil's advocate to do it to an extreme, but some people aren't going to like it. But I think the majority on this one, has, has it got the legs? I think it's got the legs. Um, yeah. It'd be interesting to see, cause Sasha, you mentioned Sasha, she, she's, she's heavy on the guilds, so right. if you don't get an ensemble at the... The actors, then you're in, you're in, you know you're in a bit of trouble unless you're Braveheart. But is is this going to get an ensemble? Because it is an ensemble, but it's usually ensemble to them means it's got three or four good actors in it who we know and get a good performance. Whereas this is like this is With an ensemble speaking parts, yeah. This is an this ensemble is a... film for me. This is a definition of it, so it should should get in. But well, did I'm sorry, remind me, did Moonlight get a SAG? ensemble nomination last year because i don't i don't know that i mean i could look it up but uh do you do you remember that i i think oh, it did um I think it did, yeah i know it lost to hidden figures right that's uh, right that, or, hidden figures one i don't know if moonlight was there yeah i i feel like yeah because it was i want to say it was like hidden figures it was moonlight and then um well no, yeah 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 I remember those they've, gone off a, they've gone off the boil a bit recently with the ensemble. They seem to like pick strange ones that throws the Oscar Oscar people off track. The gold derby just like goes goes down <laughs> on that day. <laughs> right. I don't think there are any World War Two winners that rely on an ensemble cast without having at least one star in there. If I yeah. look at the list. Right, that's kind of where I'm going with that. Yeah. Uh, not, not really. You could make the case of best years of our lives, kind of. Although, but those I mean, actors were all known at the time. Yeah, for one thing, that's almost a completely different era, anyway. Um, you know, I, so it almost doesn't make. But yeah, well, that's just it. Those those three actors were known. Well, I'm sorry, the two of them, not the one who already had hooks for hands. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know, but that's a really good point. That's the kind of the point I was trying to make before and you made it Steve, much more succinctly than I did. So thank you. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, my, my question when it comes to world war two is like, okay, so we've been making world war two movies for 60, 70 years now. Has it, how long? Yeah, has it been? 70. 70. 70 years. Wow, 75 years. years. Yeah, 75. Yeah, wow. it's been 75 and years. So the question is, how long will the Academy continue to love this subject to the uh, point that it wants to award it on a regular basis? Until you get another popular war. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> well, well, I, I probably should be asking that while Donald Trump is president. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's so true that this is the good war, so it's okay to kind of kill people. I mean, it's funny. Yeah, I, you couldn't make a list like this of any other war, not World nope. War One, not, uh, uh, you know, there just wouldn't be as many, not Vietnam, you know, because this is where we're allowed to kind of kill people and, you know, grow up, become boys to men, and it's kind of okay. I mean, so I, yeah. I think that's a great point um, that 
somehow you might think watching Dunkirk, well, everything's already been said. What's the point? But, you know, I don't know. Nolan came up with some interesting new points to make about trauma, I'm sure, and time and, you know, distance. And I think maybe there are more points to be made, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, um, Steve, did you say you have not seen it yet? No, I haven't. It hasn't It hasn't made it out into the backwater yet. Okay. I just saw War of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the well, same. Very similar. Okay. <laughs> so my, my question is going to have to exclude you then. Um, Robin and Daniel, did you make any kind of connections uh, to, like, the Tree of Life and that experiential kind of way of watching Dunkirk where, like, you know that he's up to something unique and different? Well, maybe the Thin Red Line. Did you, you've seen the Thin Red Line, right, Al? Yeah, I, um, I, it was, it's been years, though, since I saw it. Um, I do remember a little bit of it, but I mostly remember them, like, wading through tall grass. Well, yeah, sure, that's fair. Watch <laughs> it again, it's a great film, it grows on you, it gets better each time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I gotta do that soon, too. <laughs> it's probably my favorite Malik film, that one. Yeah, it's a, yeah, well, it's Badlands is, I love Badlands, but, um. But the Thin Red Line, I would say, yes, that Dunkirk had some comparisons with that. Although I think that more, uh, you know, Malik is leaning towards like, uh, gee, what does it all mean? Like, like almost encouraging you to space out, whereas Nolan is more encouraging you to like <laughs> be afraid that you're about to die or that, you're, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, there's, <laughs> I mean, when get abstract in a Nolan film, it's only sort of almost a distraction from some urgent thing that's about to kill you. Mm-hmm. So I you don't really associate Nolan with Zen. No, yeah. I, so, but sure. Uh, I, yes and no is what I'd say. I don't mm-hmm. know. You know, yeah. Because I remember watching like the Tree of Life and thinking, I have no idea what the hell this movie's about. Uh, I like. You know, I I couldn't make a connection to it. Um, but like Dunkirk, on the other hand, even though like it's it's somewhat similar in style, I felt like because it's World War Two and because it's Nolan, I was just automatically going to connect with it better. Plus, of course, you know the Hans Zimmer score, right? Which yep, that whole thing. I mean, my God, that I've never heard music like that. Well, yeah. of course, Hans Zimmer did Thin Red Line as well, and there was a similar, you know, yes. the, the journey to the line where the gradually get to the battle and they have a battle, and the music's the music's quite emotive. You, you didn't really get that back like in the nineties, like the emotive music during a during a battle, and mm. it just kept going. And that's what he's done here. Mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer's is so good at that. He's a little, he has been known to be repetitive, but this score is like he's dug stuff out that we've not heard before. Yeah. Yeah, it's I just mean, relentless. It's relentless. It just it's like an hour and forty five minutes of music. <laughs> let me let me ask a question. I wanted to get back to uh, that thing about epic. I think that's right that all of them have had a big star performance and all of them have had an epic sort of sweep. All the ones that have won before. Rob, let me ask Robin this: Do you think that Dunkirk qualifies as? an epic i mean would you you know if you were whatever making a list of epics and you included i don't know what else gladiator i mean i don't even know what's an epic the ten commandments uh would you put dunkirk you don't read genre blast whole other thing but i'm just asking does this is this should this be 
you know, when when IMDb or Netflix put a label on this, should they call it Epic Robin or not? Um, I, I don't think it's epic, like in the scale of like Lords of Arabia, you know, big, vast. But I think it's um, it sweeps you away the film. So as soon as Dunkirk starts, uh, and this, this isn't really a spoiler, but the the young soldiers walk from the town onto the beach, right. and then we're like, whoa! And almost the soldier that we're following, the main, that main guy, he sort of gasps as well. And then from then on, it's just like we're with them, or we're in the air. Um, so in that respect, it's kind of, you know, epic, like, you know, the plane scene from out of Africa. You know, that, that makes that film a little bit epic in the landscape. So, sure. But there's so much movement in this film. I think it'll... The only way I could describe it is that it's, it sweeps you away in an epic way. But I don't think it's your standard epic. But I don't think that'll hurt it, because I think being swept away is really important for this film. But the well. event itself is is epic. I mean, look at that it single is. shot in Atonement. That was Dunkirk. That was the high point of that film. Sure. Yeah. That yeah, shot, yes. That's a heck of a shot. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But go ahead. Sorry. I'm just going to say Joe Wright wasn't nominated for that. But I was, I was quite yeah. hurt at the time. But anyway... You know, I back to directors being nominated. I when you just mentioned Spielberg and Schindler's List, I actually think the more relevant comparison to Nolan this year is um, James Cameron and Titanic. Like he never was nominated prior to Titanic, but there was still a feeling that he was a kind of a good Hollywood soldier that he had brought in a lot of audiences and that he'd innovated in some yeah. ways in terms of yeah. like the 1000, you know, he, he'd helped Hollywood along and he was in his mid forties when Titanic came out like, uh, Nolan is. And like Nolan, he took on a real event for like the first time. Um, yeah. and you know that, and with the attendant important costumes that that means and important, you know, getting all those sort of details, historical details. Right. So I think that actually, I think Nolan, the, the, I, I, you know, I'm just going to give Steve credit. I'll compare Nolan to a Canadian. Um, <laughs> I think it's kind of the, uh, I, I, th- I mean, I sense that, now I, I'm not saying Dunkirk's going to win 11 Oscars, that I am not saying, but I do think, I, and nor am I saying it's, you know, Dunkirk's going to get anything like Titanic's box office, but I do think that in some ways, it, it's almost more like that. It's almost more like, oh, okay, yeah, you're you're playing the the game we like you to play. You're you're finally you know using yeah. those talents that we knew about to something that we can kind of show our wives or show our grandma and like it's cool, you know, where we could. That's, a, dark that's a perfect comparison because there's a straight line from uh, Spielberg to uh, the Canadian to uh, Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> These are all guys that paid their dues and made Hollywood millions before exactly. they before they won anything. Right. That's right. That's a good comparison, definitely. Uh, yeah. Anybody else think? I mean, now I you could also say Tarantino kind of runs that comparison with Inglorious Bastards, but what? What did Tarantino do wrong there? Maybe, I, my vibe is it was the epic thing. But, well, I mentioned Brad Pitt, that he didn't give, a, I don't know what, an Alec Guinness uh, or George C. Scott-like performance. That, those are unfair comparisons, or Liam Neeson. I mean, you can't really compare to those people. But on the other, and it, the, the, in Pitt's defense, it wasn't written that way for him to do it that way. But maybe it wasn't epic enough. Maybe if it had been a little more like, 
I don't know what. I mean, yes, it, it lost to the Hurt Locker, so it lost to another war film that wasn't epic, as you mentioned. So I, but it was I, almost a comedy, and right. comedies don't do well. Yeah, maybe that's really it was tone, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah that's kind of what I'm getting at. Well, and I'm Dunkirk myself so much, I'm not going to vote for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Whereas Dunkirk doesn't, it, it does have that sort of solemn tone that we that we're, that the Oscars are looking for. Al, would you agree with that? That Dunkirk has the tone they like. Oh yeah, I, I think that if if yeah, if you're talking about that kind of thing, um, this is their catnip. Um, right. I, I think that you know it's it's definitely, and I hate to use this term, but it's Oscar baity. Yeah, you know because it's 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 experimental, and it's got the right tone, and it's got the the you know the score and the cinematography. I think the thing though that Dunkirk might be missing is. The screenplay, even though I think the screenplay ironically works, I'm just not sure that the the voters might see it that way. Um, you know, some of these other war films, I mean, Inglorious Bastards was written by uh, Quentin Tarantino, who's won Oscars for his writing. In fact, yeah, I, I think he's he's only won for his writing. He's never won Best Director or Best Picture. Oh, um yeah. And with Dunkirk, I, you know, it's 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 interesting because, you know, I was like I made the prediction that possibly Dunkirk could get nominated for best screenplay, and then I I kind of wanted to mentally backtrack because I'm like, well, you know, maybe not, but you know, because part of it is is, and I've been hearing this complaint that you know because he likes to shoot in the IMAX cameras, the IMAX cameras doesn't pick up the dialogue as well as digital cameras and so therefore a lot of the the, the, the dialogue is somewhat muffled but then ah, but did, you, did you read my review though because because war is muffled and I well, oh yeah Nolan, yeah it absolutely I don't think is. Nolan was interested in you hearing every single line because they probably didn't hear every single line and I right. firmly believe that's what yeah. he did yeah and I, he's not He's not that stupid I don't think he's that technically stupid that it would just think <laughs> uh, the cat in the dialogue I ain't bothered I want it to be like 26 meters wide. <laughs> yeah, although, you know what? I mean, I don't know. It's hard to know because, yeah, I agree with you, Robin, that, like, yeah, war is definitely chaotic and it's muffled and it's, it's hard to understand. And I think that's why it works because it's perfect that way because you're like, did I hear that right? What did he say? What am I supposed <laughs> to do now? But the thing is, like, if you watch Interstellar and you watch The Dark Knight Rises, there are moments in that movie where it's also hard to understand the dialogue. Yeah. Although part of that is is also his sound mixing with the music, you know, that the music will overplay the dialogue and it'll drown it out. So that is a different kind of complaint. I think with this, he was much more careful to not do that. And to me, like, I think you could look at Dunkirk, in even though it's a World War II movie, I think it's comparable to, like... A Hitchcock film. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, please. Support yeah, no, that. No, that's a really good <laughs> point. When I was watching it, I was and Nolan said himself he's not made a war film, he's made a suspense film. Right. And I was watching it and there's moments in it where I thought Hitchcock would love this. Right. Yeah. That because I see. Well, because there's suspense. so many near-death experiences or whatever, yeah. It's just Sorry. a suspense you builds mm-hmm. yeah. in a war film, which you don't really get that kind of suspense, that, that kind of Hitchcockian suspense, that constructed. Sure. And, and it's, it, 
Yeah, so it's like a suspense movie. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, you have that kind of storyline where, like, you know, you have these these random characters, and they're, they seem like they might be up to something, but you're not really sure, and then you got the suspense of the music along with the vast, you know, landscapes and everything. I don't know, it just, to me, it was very intense, and... um of course, yeah, I mean, no one doesn't even want it to be called a war film, which is really kind of weird, because it's like, <laughs> I feel like well, you should embrace that. Lucas you know? didn't want Star Wars to be called a sci-fi film, so <laughs> get that, yeah. you know. Yeah. He's pissed at Netflix, too, so, I mean, you know, he's just talking. <laughs> you know, yeah. you bring up at least two really important things, I think, Al, if I can just... One is Hitchcock loved making movies about World War II while World War II was happening. I just want to point that out. He was looking for material in a way that not all our directors do these days. You know, he made Foreign Correspondent, he insisted on making Lifeboat, which he thought of as a, you know, like a microcosm of society. It was very clearly a war film, didn't get, you know, Best Picture nominee. Uh, Notorious is many in many ways about World War II. Uh, but anyway, now, your thing about screenplay, I think that's a real, I want to turn that, question to robin or steve or both about um so you know gravity did not get a best picture uh i'm sorry did not get a, a screenplay nomination and it won the most oscars that year but it didn't you know win best picture i don't have to tell you uh mad max fury road did not get a screenplay nomination it got the most oscars eventually but it didn't win best picture you guys know that did Is, titanic have a screenplay nomination um no, I, I don't. I don't think it's it a horrible screenplay, but I don't know if I got nominated. No, it didn't. It was the first to win without one in like okay. a long time. Yeah, so that's a good that's point. That's the line we're on, I think. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Well, but maybe I'm not disagreeing with that. Although my Gravity and Mad Max examples are, you know, sync up with like the last four years of their voting. Granted, the Academy changed has changed members by like 20 percent in the last two years since Mad Max. But that said. <laughs> Um, I mean, how important is it for Dunkirk to get, this is my question maybe to Robin, I don't know. How important is, I mean, is Dun, could Dunkirk just be seen as the great craft film of the year and it just, you know, everybody handed those Mad Max and Gravity Oscars, handed the sound, handed the editing, but, you know, when it comes to the actual top prize, if it doesn't get screenplay, is that going to handicap it from winning Best Picture? Uh, Robin, go over to you. No, I don't think it will, because the, the examples you've just given there, but also I think sometimes um, a film that does really well, it gets momentum going into the, the Oscars, it'll, it'll get a screenplay nomination irregardless. Right. I remember when, when Titanic didn't, and I was so pleased, because... You know, <laughs> that, that, no, because that, cause I, I, I write screenplays, so, and it's sort of my thing, so... We're seeing that film, it deserved, probably deserved 14 nominations, but it didn't deserve um, that, and it didn't get that. So it's almost like in the last 20 years or so, they've started valuing writing a little bit more. Um, the thing with Dunkirk is, it's, people think screenplays is just about dialogue, and it, it isn't. And it did the three, the three times zone structure, which, which I'm telling you now, was difficult to film, but that would have been very, very difficult to write. So if they are looking at quality of writing now and the technical consideration, you know, where gravity was just, she was floating about and she had like a monologue at the end 
Mad Max was like non-stop, whereas this is like there's a, there's a film structure here, not like Tarantino, but it goes back and forth. And when you watch it, it visually stunning, but also you, I I thought this must have been a real bitch to write. So if I look at it like that, but if it doesn't get nominated, no, I don't think I don't think it will hurt him because it's going to be like like you said the gravity thing again, and. The other thing I was going to say is that the the love to split, don't they now? So I think he's more likely to win director exactly. than the film is going to win best picture because something will come along, something fluffy or something else or something <laughs> important. You know, like last year, Moonlight was important, right. payback, whatever, and it and it was better. It was better than La La Land. So you know, debatable. Well, it is debatable, but. <laughs> But Moonlight, like got that, Moonlight got the SAG nomination and La La Land didn't. I'm sure that's going to come up in terms of Dunkirk also, you know. But oh, but yeah. sure, but fair enough. Yes, in the <laughs> film. So you're seeing that they're Robin. You're suggesting another yet another uh, best director, best picture split in this decade, or maybe you're saying you're that's I'm you saying, yeah, that. because best picture is so volatile now. It's yeah. so hard to pick. But director like Cuaron. He'd won. Right. Been long before anything else. Um, George Miller should should have won, (laughs) (laughs) but 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 he didn't. But he didn't. He didn't have the momentum that Alfonso Cuarón had. So no luck. He lost it in your. He lost it in your Ritu. But yeah. But sure. But I know what you're saying. Yeah, and the worst part about that was that Inuritu won the year before. Right or wait, but he didn't lose to Cor. Wait, George Miller lost to. Yeah, wait. he he lost to Inuritu. Yeah, he lost to Cor. Who had won tw- two years in he a lost row? To he won. What? But wait, no, no. Hold on. Cor won for 2013. Gravity. Yep. Yeah. Grab- and then uh, Inuritu won Best Director for Birdman, and then he won the next year again Best Director for The Revenant. I was just comparing Mad Max to Gravity. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Two different momentum swings. Yeah. Oh, because I see. So George Miller didn't so, have that. Yeah. Popularity. And so, just to clarify, what I was saying is that it's even made worse that George Miller lost to Inuritu, who won a second year in a row. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't know sharing was part of the. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, right, have we have we addressed every single issue, or did we miss it? Did, is there something anybody well, else you know, wants to? What I'm curious up? about is what is your guys. Like, if you could chalk up, like, one specific World War II movie, whether it won Best Picture or not, whether it was not even nominated, what is your favorite? Steve? Mm, das Boot, The yeah. Pianist, and The Thin Red Line. Those are three great films right there. Uh, Robin? I'm, I'm Apparently, <laughs> I, I'm passing. No, I'll, I'll get there. Um, thin, thin, thin Red Line would be, would be mine. Um, Schindler's List is a type of film where I can appreciate that it is magnificent, but it's not personal to me. Something like Pan's Labyrinth does that? Is that World War Two to you guys? Ah, but that's Spanish yes. civil Spanish civil war is before World War Two, so no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's during, but it is during World War Two, is it not? Mm, is it? There are people with armband. I think it's meant to take place during the Spanish Civil War. I, I think. Actually, the whole patch from World War One to Vietnam is all the same conflicts and different. 
iterations. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think I have a particular favorite. Thin Red Line would come to mind, but what I will say is there's two films that have come out quite recently that you should see. One is called Son of Saul, mm. and the other is called Land of Mine. Those are two films you must see. So okay. that's just I'm going to recommend two and pick Thin Red Line as my favorite. I love Son of Saul. Saul. Uh, I don't know if I could ever watch it again. I mean, it was hard to watch, but it was a brilliant film, no doubt. Uh, well, let me just quickly answer Al's question for myself, uh, and then we're going to turn it back to Al to answer his own question. Uh, I, I would look. I love Casablanca. I do, mm. and every time I see it, like the twenty-fifth time, I'm like, you know what? This is working on all cylinders. You know, I wouldn't change a frame of that film. Uh, I love Bridge on the River Kwai for some reason. I don't know. I just think it's great. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know. I, I kind of agree with the other. I love Das Boot, too. That, that is a great film for me. I give Saving Private Ryan some credit. You know, uh, that first 30 minutes, I don't know that there's – if, if <laughs> I, there's never been World War II quite like there was in that, in that first 30 minutes, the combination of documentary – and fiction and use and sort of deploying Tom Hanks's persona in the middle of that was something exquisite that has never really been done uh, before or after. But, you know, you don't get credit for 30 minutes. You, you get credit no. for film. So, uh, yeah. So those are, I guess, my sort of favorites. Al, what about you? Um, I think it's Saving Private Ryan at this point. Um, I love the desaturation of the color. There, sure. There's something about that. It's just so beautiful to look at. Um, yeah, and you, you bring up Tom Hanks, and he's great. Um, and then, of course, you know Matt Damon shows up, and you got all these other additional characters. I mean, you got Tom Sizemore, and you got Barry Pepper, and, and Vin Diesel. Yeah, Vin Diesel's in that movie. You know, and Ted Danson is he? <laughs> Somebody play the Cheers theme when he walks into yeah. The- <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you what else is in it. Uh, Brian Cranston's in it. What? Yeah, that's right. Cranston is in it. Brian yeah. Cranston's in it. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh too. wow! I'm gonna have to... that. Al, I thought you were going to say there. Um, Stephen Private Ryan. It's so good. It's brilliant. Um, and then Matt Damon shows up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, he did an inter- like he did an Interstellar. Oh god. Oh. He could have stayed out of that one. <laughs> oh. That's a good one. <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, there's lots of good ones, and and you guys are bringing up some that I really need to check out for a first time, and then some I need to rewatch. Like I definitely need to rewatch like the Thin Red Line, and I still haven't checked out Das Boot. Part of the reason though for that is because I can only find the director's cut, which is like nine hours long. <laughs> Go for it. It was a TV series originally, so they've trimmed it down and trimmed it down. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Lucky only nine hours. <laughs> well, if you see, don't mind being stuck yeah. in a coffee can for yeah. nine hours. <laughs> Have you seen yeah. both versions of it? Yeah, I've seen both. Okay, so I is, saw the short version in the theater, and then I've seen the director's cut many times since. Okay, is the director's cut even better? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, okay. There's more. There's more. There's more. <laughs> exactly. That's true. There's more. <laughs> Um, I love the. Cane, yeah. I want to throw in cane mutiny. I, I love watching Humphrey Bogart with the, roll those silver balls in his hand. Have you guys all seen that movie? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 That's a great film. Um, I, I, it's not in my top 
five, but it is, it's always a pleasure. I can see why it lost on the waterfront because on the waterfront was important. Right, Robin? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I do have one other question for you guys. uh, Because earlier, Daniel, you brought up um, the Dirty Dozen. Sure. And I was thinking about this because I've just, I just recently watched Feud. Um, and Robert Aldrich, of course, directed The Dirty Dozen, but he had just previously directed um, What's what Wrong with the Beach. Or, what, yeah, What Happened to Baby Jane. And I'm wondering <laughs> if part of the reason why they passed on The Dirty Dozen as the Best Picture nominee was because it was Robert Aldrich, and they immediately went to What Happened to Baby Jane. Uh, no. Remember how stacked no. that year was, 67? I mean, that's yeah. the Mark Harris's yeah. previous book is about <laughs> pictures of the revolution. So they had Bonnie and Clyde, the graduate, uh, guess who's coming to dinner, uh, night. which one now, Dr. Doolittle, I'll grant you. <laughs> See, there you uh, go. <laughs> I could have taken that spot. <laughs> um, I mean, that was all about Fox's marketing at the time. Uh, that, I mean, Harris talks about that at length in the book. Uh, but they were that, throwing life buoys out with that film. Oh, my God. Well, but the one that should have been the, the number six of that year was In Cold Blood. Um, yes. Everybody yes. thought Truman Capote. For some reason, the, I think with The Dirty Dozen, they just weren't ready for that. Um, it was it was not winning critics awards, and I think because these critics were still elitist at the time um, and weren't ready for something that was kind of so up in your face with that that level of scuzziness almost. Um, I think that there wasn't a – well, frankly, I don't think there was a central performance that they could hang their hat on like Dustin Hoffman's or Warren Beatty's or in the other World War II movies we're talking about that they could really well, – Lee Marvin, and he well, had just won an Oscar. I know. It's funny. Well, they revived his career with that Oscar, uh, yeah, which was awesome. Um, but, yeah, I think I love Lee Marvin and Dirty Dozen. I don't know that he kind of – I love it. Uh, he's great. But you could make the case that it's he's kind of is only one of an ensemble there, sort yeah. of. I mean, and Casavetes was good, too, I thought. Oh, he's perfectly cast. Yeah, he's uh, – yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, comparing them to the Burt Lancaster – um, you Montgomery know. Cliff combo? No, nothing comes close to that. That, yeah. Oh my God. I mean, those two—they run that film, you know. And even Sinatra is really good in it. You know, he deserved yeah. Oscar. He won for what he did. You know, um, surprisingly, because he wasn't considered an actor before that. Um, but yeah, or not much of one. Um, the horses anyway. had helped. <laughs> <laughs> the horses head. Yeah, yeah. I love a Godfather reference. The more the merrier. <laughs> Um, Diary of Anne Frank is a solid film too. I mean, we're talking going back to these old films. Um, yeah. but well, yeah, plus, I was thinking 67, uh, wasn't that also the year, or at least it's American th- theatrical release for the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. 68 or 69, 68. Did get a, at least a nomination for music for that? I don't know, but yeah, I'm not sure how they dealt with that because of the, the eligibility with that. I don't know. Yeah. That was another very anti, like, very insouciant movie by Oscar standards. Very, like, in your face. You know, like, just, 
Yes, Bonnie and Clyde was that, but Bonnie and Clyde was such a cause celebre. You know, it was on the cover of Time by then. They kind of almost owed it to Bonnie and Clyde um, in a way. And maybe Bonnie and Clyde crowded out Dirty Dozen and once, and um, uh, sorry, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly in some ways. It got the anti kind of Hollywood vote or whatever, if there was one at the time, you know, or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Bonnie and Clyde turns 50 a week from today. Wow! See, that oh, is wow. Montreal Film Festival. Oh, awesome. are they re? Uh, they're showing it again. That's a new print. Great. Oh, no, that's where that's where it that's where it premiered. Oh, that's amazing. Nineteen sixty-seven. That's a watershed. I mean, Ooh. that. <laughs> I mean, I obviously my book has to talk about that movie. Oh, you know what? I'll just here. I'll be just be. <laughs> yeah, this is terrible of me. Oh wait, we're on. <laughs> So on audio, nobody's only the four of us are going to know what I'm talking about. See, here's the book that where I I start with Bonnie and Clyde and the Graduate, and then get into all this stuff. Well, since nobody can see it, you're going to have to read the title out loud. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, hey, audience, go to <laughs> this is now available in paperback for only thirty bucks. Yay! Star actors in the Hollywood Renaissance, uh, representing Rough Rebels by me, Daniel Smith Rousey. So yeah, do Yay! This has nothing right. to do with World War II or Dunkirk. Sorry. Uh, anyway, like guys, yes, I, I have to dash. But what I will say is, yeah, that I, I can link to that book on the, you know, on the oh, when we publish it, and then get, let's get let's get people buying that book, shall we? Cheers, mate. Cheers. <laughs> and I'll also put you must read Daniel's um, essay book that he wrote on my site about the, you know, kind of the big films win the Oscars and the some films. You're and, so definitely, yeah, because you've got to read it because it's really long. But I, I, I read it and I really enjoyed it. And it's a must <laughs> read. And also read my review of Dunkirk. <laughs> yes, everybody should do. do that. <laughs> um, before I go, two quick films: one from '59, Hiroshima Monomore. Yeah, got a screenplay nomination at the Oscars. And that was it. it. Didn't win. The next year, Sophie Loren won for Two Women, which is about kind of about war. First fun uh, actress to win. So those two films have come highly recommended for me as well. And there's one World War II film that actually had political ramifications in the country it was made. Uh, Days of Glory by Rashid Bouchareb. Mm. Um, about the North Africans that fought for France. As a result of that film, the widows of those those guys started getting compensated by the government. Wow. Amazing. That is it's a great, great film, too. You should see it. Days of Glory, it's called. Days of Glory. It's and about the know? Algerian fighters in the French army. Wow. I don't know about that. See, I, I thought I knew, and I don't. So let me... There you um, go. No, more. Uh, <sighs> that, that seems like a good place to end the podcast. Do you agree, Al? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think we're in a good place right now. <laughs> this, was a, this was a good one. This was one of my favorites, but don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> <laughs> They'll have to listen all the way to this point to find out that you said it. And it's nice to, talk to, nice to talk to Steve finally after nice to years talk to you guys. Years yeah. for so Cheers. long. Yeah, thanks Great for joining us. Read his, read his genre blasts. Read them all. Gangsters this week, of course. Why? Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> all right, guys, I'll see you all online. All right. Yeah. Okay. Right, all the best. I'm going to go, too. So. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks Bye. Al. You're welcome. Okay. Later. Bye. 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 Yeah.
Nothing! 